Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Bud, we have officially made our way all the way through the doldrums of summer. We have a real-life football game to preview here uh, tonight and ever so excited to be able to do it. So tonight we'll focus solely around the uh, Notre Dame game that is uh, here coming up on Sunday evening. Uh, like I said, really excited to do that, really excited to record anytime we get to do a Knollcast. And I uh, want to thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. And we're ever so fortunate to have kind of a pairing of sponsors here to lead us off as we like to pair our hot sauce with a wonderful high quality wine. And that is the good people at Tarpon Cellars. Tarponcellars.com, uh, coupon code Nolcast. I should be able to pronounce my own pod. And you get 20% off. So let's jump into it, bud. Ton of things to talk about tonight. Excited to do this. And we are officially at this point back and into our regular season flow of things. Dude, really excited to be back in the saddle here. Notre Dame, Florida State. Notre Dame comes into this game seven and a half point favorites as of uh, as of about 9.45 on Wednesday evening. Spread or total is 56. So kind of an implied score there in that what? 31-24-ish, 32-24 uh, implied score there. This should be an entertaining game. I'm really excited to watch this one. I'm also excited because they're offering, because not offering Coach Bowden, excuse me. They're honoring Coach Bowden, which, which should be pretty cool as well. Yeah, they released the uh, four different things that they're going to do, have a, using kind of the Bobby logo, which uh, it seems like the... I don't. I don't want to get deep into this, but it certainly seems like the Bowden family has given uh, Florida State kind of the the rights over uh, kind of Bobby's legacy and some of the imaging there. So that's a nice thing to see. You'll have the Bobby logo both at uh, one of the end zones and painted onto the field. Uh, you'll also have it on what looks like it'll be on kind of the coaches' polos. And then my favorite touch, and I uh, put this out on Twitter. I would really give strong consideration to making this a permanent thing. But the Bowden signature on the back of the helmet, to me, it's gorgeous. It's uh, beautiful in its simplicity. And um, please don't interpret this the wrong way. But for a school as new as it is, Florida State doesn't have a ton of unique things. Florida State does not have something that they can fully claim their own. Uh, Obviously, the war chant, and there's there's some great stuff out there. But to be a school that started playing football uh, for all intents and purposes in the 60s, uh, as far as big time college football, you don't have a ton that's truly yours, and there's nothing more that's truly yours than Bobby Bowden. So I would I would love to see that be a permanent addition to the uniform because it looks great, and I think it's a fantastic way to uh, honor a man that played such a massive role in the evolution I, of the program. I agree, and I think it also. I mean, to your point, I I was curious what you're going to say there. I was thinking the same thing. They don't have any seemingly old traditions, right? Like a, a tradition that will make FSU fans say, "Oh, that that's been around since, you know, 1910." Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the team they're going to play tonight, or on, on Sunday night rather, uh, they do. They've got a lot of stuff. The, the gold helmets. I think what they're doing with Coach Bowden is awesome to honor his legacy. That's it's really cool. I agree with you. I think they should absolutely keep it around. It's it looks looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Good, yeah. good work there. So uh, we'll start off with some good news, and this is uh, something that we've kind of talked about uh, over the last week or so. Knock on wood, uh, but for all intents and purposes, this is a roster that needs to be healthy entering the year, and uh, by all accounts, you're in pretty good shape. I mean, you've gotten 
people back in these past, uh, these two most recent ske- uh, schedules, these two most recent practices and scrimmages that uh, maybe haven't been back in the final one or in some of these practices leading up to Notre Dame. I think you pretty much, I don't think it's a reach to say almost every person on this roster is a full go. There's a couple guys that there may be slight question marks about, but I mean, when you have 85 kids on scholarship, it's almost inevitable that somebody's not going to enter uh, game one with some type of knock. But uh, I think this is a roster that for the vast majority of it is healthy and is ready to participate on Sunday night. I think this is great, man. Um, look, we have not been shy about expressing concerns about the continuity that you're able to achieve with a team that has about half of its starters being transfers with new pieces all over the board with some key reserves also being new pieces. And with we know that guys have been hurt and have missed good portions of all camp. We know guys have been out with contact tracing or just flat out with COVID. Um, and so I do have real concerns about how much they were able to get done on a day-to-day basis in camp. However, it does seem like they're peaking health-wise at the right time. Knock on wood, obviously. But this is the, they are probably in the absolute best spot they've been health-wise in the last month as of this recording. That's a good news. That's, that's pretty damn good news, man. Guys are coming back who I think were either COVID or contact trace over the last week. That's good news as well. More and more guys are getting their shot. We know that some guys have missed like a day of practice with the second shot and are, you know, or, or back the next day. Sometimes with side effects from second shot can last a day or even two. Uh, so yeah, like they are actually in a pretty good space health-wise. Do I wish camp went better? Of course, I do. But they're in a better spot now than they were a week or 10 days ago, for sure. All right, so we'll break this down uh, as we do normally. If this is the first one of these game previews that you've listened to us, first, thank you for finding us and hope you stick with us throughout the year. Uh, Click that like bell to, on the yes, YouTube video. Ring the Turn notifications bell, on. Cue the playlist up. Uh, do what you can to support the Nolcast. Uh, certainly many of you have. I mean, the subscription growth has been really incredible. And uh, I just, I don't want to, you know, go on and on about it, but let us start off the podcast here early, thanking so many of you that have chosen to subscribe to the, the uh, YouTube page. That's a real big deal and really much uh, appreciate it. But what we like to do is we like to break this down as to when Florida State has the ball and when the opponent has the ball and kind of give you an idea as to what to look for, maybe some things that Florida State can try to take advantage of. And maybe some things that if you see the other team being successful and doing the first five or 10 minutes of a game, uh, get a clue that it might be a long evening, unfortunately. So, uh, you know, we'll look at some of the pieces, some of the players, some of the philosophies uh, that each side of the ball will try to work with. And with that, let's look at what Florida State will try to do with the ball when they're attacking Notre Dame to start us off. Yeah, so they've actually had a change uh, in defensive coordinator up there uh, in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, Clark Lee did a really good job for the Irish for several years, and he left uh, to go take over Vanderbilt. Uh, he's a you know, Vanderbilt alum. He also took my ex-podcasting partner on my national show, uh, Barton Simmons, who is now his uh, director of you know like GM essential position there. Uh, and he did a really good job for them. They were a top 20 defense last year in SP+. And who did Notre Dame go get? They went and got one of the hottest defensive coordinator names in the entire country, a guy who a lot of people thought would be a head coach maybe as soon as this year, if more openings had happened, but not a lot of jobs open due to all the COVID stuff. I mean, some did, but maybe not as as would have opened in a typical year. Uh, 
Marcus Freeman, quite frankly, frankly, has just had the absolute best G5 defense over the last however many number of years you want to name uh, on average. Cincinnati was the best G5 team last year, and it was mostly in part to his defense. He's going to run a pretty aggressive, one-gapping hybrid scheme. Uh, this is going to be an interesting challenge. I think it's a, it's a massive challenge for FSU because the Irish do have good personnel. Uh, it's also a challenge for Notre Dame to have a new scheme in week one having to go to a hostile environment in Doak. Student section sold out. We'll see what they're able to do against. They, they do have some studs, though, for sure, coming back on this roster, even though they lost some important players, too. So the first guy we'll look at is a guy I'm pretty familiar with, Kyle Hamilton here out of Atlanta. Went to uh, the high school that I kind of went to, the feeder elementary school, and then went in another direction. But he played at Marist High School. I mentioned Marist probably once a year. What could have so. been? On here, the yeah. Next well, there's, a, there's another guy that I'll tell you uh, uh, went to Barris, who I have a little bit of a stronger connection with. But Hamilton, uh, exceptional player. Alan Chadwick's been at Marist for 36 years and will tell you without hesitation, Hamilton's the best player he's coached. Now, for, for perspective, for, uh, Chadwick's been at Marist for 36 years and he just won game number 400 last weekend. So you can do the math on that and realize that that's one of the more consistent programs in the Southeast. They actually play up a couple classifications. They're a really exceptional program. And Hamilton is uh, probably the most talented kid ever to come out of there. Uh, moving on, decide talking about private school football in Atlanta. Uh, we'll look at the division line. The division line, the defensive line uh, should be really good. Maybe a little bit smaller than some of the other teams that Florida State will face this year. Uh, but a team that will get on the other side of the line of scrimmage, plays aggressive, and, uh, you know, obviously we've talked for years about some of Florida State's limitations on the offensive line. And while we think uh, they're certainly addressing those, still a unit that they're probably going to have some difficulties handling on Sunday night. I think this is the last year, by the way, that we're actually going to be talking about FSU's offensive line from a limitations perspective in like the majority of these previews. I think next year we won't have to worry about the offensive line in more than half the games. I'm, I'm not confident in the direction that Coach Alex Atkins is taking these guys. Just saying. But next year is not this year yet. So I, I, I do, you do have to worry about that still. Bad podcasting here, but I'm going to go back to a point that I made that's not really about uh, Notre Dame. The other One of the other more famous Marist alums of recent uh, note, who was kind of in my air, Sean McVay, bud. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, two years below me. Uh, really exceptional player for them. I think he actually dated the girl that I dated in middle school. So that's an interesting connection there. But is this the yeah. girl who was in the SI swimsuit edition? Uh, no. Because okay. <laughs> he was dating he was dating a model out there, the LA Rams coach. Uh, yeah, for, no, for I mean I'm I'm talking about someone when we were twelve, not uh okay. not we did not cross paths at age twenty nine, I'll put it that way. Uh so, but uh, that would be a strong flex, definitely. All right, to get us back on path, uh, we'll look at the linebackers. You know, uh, not necessarily, you know, there, there aren't some of the names that have come out of Notre Dame in the past five or six years of linebacker. Obviously, the kid, uh, Jeremiah uh, OK, as I called him, is one of the better college linebackers last year. They had that kid out of Fort Wayne five or six years ago. Uh, not any necessarily of those guys that are just freak, maybe best type of players in the country, but an awful lot of blue chip players and an awful lot of experienced uh, blue chip players on the Notre Dame roster at linebacker. Yeah, like I, I don't see this group being, I think you're right. Like they're not going to be as good as they've been in prior years at the linebacker position. 
but they don't necessarily have to fall off the table. They do have a good good amount of experience here with guys who have played a lot of snaps. Um, they did have an important preseason injury. One of their more, uh, I would call them like one of their higher upside linebackers, uh, did suffer a, a quote a serious leg injury and will miss significant time. So he's certainly not going to play against FSU. We, we wish him the best of luck. Obviously, uh, this will be an area that I think they have to. Uh, try to attack and, and an area that you most likely have to find some kind of advantage over if if you're going to come out victorious in this game. Um, you you got to know what you do well. And one thing Legendary Home Loans team does well is home loans, right? 844-FSU-LOAN. I've decided to go with Legendary team twice, both my home loan and my refi. When I go to some investment properties coming up, I will be going with those guys. Again, 200 NOLCAST listeners just about have decided to go with the legendary team, I think we have four new ones that uh, that Shannon emailed about just today. So that's again an incredible. It's customer service, knowledge of the industry. They're big time Knowles. That's all Shannon does anymore, as far as when he does loans, is Knollcast stuff. He's like a senior dude. And he's like, no, look, I'm not giving up my Knollcast loans because he's just. We know the Knollcast listeners are awesome. We know they expect this great customer service. I'm going to provide it right for them. So, uh, yeah, eight four four FSU loan. Tell them we sent you and look forward to seeing Chad and Shannon on Saturday night. So uh, as we've talked about previously, Bud and I have both been pretty open for a little bit now, and it certainly only looks to be more likely that Jordan Travis is going to be uh, at least who you start out with a quarterback. It's going to be the guy that takes the majority of the snaps in this game, in my opinion. And in my opinion, it'll be a significant majority. Um, had some success against Notre Dame at times last year, obviously, but uh you know, that game in in its entirety really felt like Notre Dame was just kind of playing with you because anytime they wanted to pick up 25 yards, they could simply run a, a rather, you know, elementary counterplay and do it. So, Oh, you think uh, rushing for 25 yards a carry <laughs> to three quarters is, is it, it inspires confidence? <laughs> that was, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, cool. we'll move, turn our attention to 2021 and hopefully that that game or at least parts of it can be left behind. But, uh, if you're going to have success against Notre Dame, obviously you've got to deal with a Hamilton kid and have an idea as to where he is, uh, particularly with some of the concepts that you talked about with how they like to play, you know, uh, some a of the lot stuff of that they high, do with their yeah. safeties and uh, whether they put a, you know, whether they try to jam at the line or do uh, some of the zone concepts that they have. And then, uh, you know, you've got to identify where some of the pieces are in the defense tackle uh, position and, you know, if you're not blocking the the Heinish kid, you're probably not having a whole lot of success against that defense. I mean, Kurt Heinish, doesn't that just sound like a Notre Dame defensive tackle name? Straight out of Rudy Central Casting, you know? Uh, but he's he lives up to the billing. A lot of run stops last year. Disruptive player. He's their he's their nose guard, their, their biggest guy, and the one dude who maybe is not quite as much of a penetrator as some of the, the other ones are. Uh Jordan Travis has made legitimate strides as a passer. He really has. I believe that. Scouts I know who have come through practice believe that. Like, oh, well, this Travis kid's throwing the ball a lot better. You know, and that's not like I trust that because it's not people who are going to tell me that because Milton hasn't been very good in practice. They're not they're not FSU fans who are trying to compensate for Milton's disappointing fall camp, right? They're like, no, no, Travis is legitimately throwing the ball much better than he did last year, which is great news. They are going to need it on, on Sunday night. There's no doubt. Jordan Travis did a really good job running the ball last year against the Irish. 
But you're right, man. That score was much closer than that game actually was. If you go look at Bill Connolly's adjusted score, like basically the the points you would expect if if you kind of take out some of the lucky bounces and stuff, it wasn't 16 points, it was 29. Notre Dame had a 99% post-game win expectancy last year. They really kind of toyed with them, as you mentioned. FSU, I think they're going to try to execute largely the plan that Mike Norvell tried to execute against Cincinnati when he was at Memphis. And in fact, he faced Marcus Freeman twice in his final year there at, at Memphis. And Cincinnati was a very good team at that time as well, especially defensively. You know, since his offense wasn't really great in 2019, but the defense was pretty much rock solid. And Norvell beat him twice. And honestly, in breaking down those games, I, I noticed some commonalities that I, I think we can point to. And then I think we, you and I should discuss sort of, do you think Jordan Travis can do some of these things? Because some of it I really do, and some of it I'm not sure. So I, w- I want to get your opinion on this. Number well, one, he, yeah. he had, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go on. So he had a really good success rate running the ball. They would consistently pick up, you know, five yards on first down. And if it's second and eight, they would get four. You know what I mean? Like they were getting back uh, to more manageable down and distances consistently. And they hit explosive pass plays, right? Did a nice job on it. Here's the thing. You would think if they're running the ball well and they're hitting explosive pass plays that they would be hitting them off play action, right? Staying ahead of the chains, not allowing that pass rush to get to you, keeping the defense off balance. Maybe you're doing the RPO game. Not the case. Their explosive plays often against Memphis came in like third and long, which is really weird to me uh, for for a defense that is as good as Memphis has been. Um, And that's something that I'm, I'm interested in here. Cincinnati played a ton of press coverage. I would expect the same out of Notre Dame. I know reading up on the Irish, they think their corners are maybe not the strength of the defense. However, I know you and I have both seen those, those you know, clips that got shared on the Instagram stories of some of the FSU corners pancaking some FSU's receivers. I think FSU's corners might be pretty good this year. I'm also in the back of my mind thinking, oh, shoot, David Hale did rank those pass catchers 14th out of 14th in the ACC. Like, if Cincinnati wants to press a whole lot, and we know how bad these receivers have been at getting off press, yeah. I don't know, man. Like they're going <clears> to <throat> need to show me something there. There's a lot of interest. Like there's things that that Memphis did well against Cincinnati twice in in Norvell's last year. There, how well do you think FSU can do those things with Travis and this was this receiver? Can they? Can they find ways to create explosive plays with play action and RPO? Or do you have any confidence that Travis can? Be a good drop back passer when the th- threat of his legs are gone. Can these guys get off press? What What do you think? I'm concerned about the press. I'm con- particularly concerned about the press with because they got bitched with like, let's be really, like those, and those clips were, were depressing. Asking Malik McLean to do that in his first game. I mean, it's going to be a challenge, and they are uh, historically pretty aggressive about some of the jams that they put on you. The other thing that if um, and this isn't the best venue for us to get too much in, you know, X's nose and chalkboard talk. But if you are playing some of the defense that they play with a single high safety, really, whether it be zone or man concepts, uh, the part of the field that you can try to take advantage of are some pretty aggressive shots uh, into the scene. And that's a that's a ball that may be there for a second and then it's gone. And it's going to be fascinating. We've heard a lot about the progress of Jordan Travis, and I think we'll get to see it pretty early as to what that looks like. Because if you're asking Travis to hit 
you know, 19 yard passes in a, in a relatively tight window and he's doing it, then okay, well, this kid's gotten a hell of a lot better. And this is a really exciting quarterback that we have on our hands. So, uh, I think we're going to get a pretty good idea as to this level of improvement, what it is. Uh, because like you said, <clears throat> your receivers are going to get jammed and jammed aggressively if they do what they've done historically. Uh, so your windows are going to be small and your windows not, may not be immediately where you thought they would be, uh, you know, pre-play. So uh, I think we'll get a pretty good idea, you know, relatively quickly in the game as to where Travis is as a passer. And hopefully it's a situation where he's not so excited that he's out there, you know, overthrowing balls and, and making mistakes that are you know purely based off adrenaline and stuff like that. Uh, that'll fade over time. But if you're, you know, game one starter and uh, you know you're playing the national game, uh, so you can have a little bit of juice in your arm and those can lead to some early mistakes. And those, those balls down the seams, it's interesting. A, Travis threw those fairly well at times last year. That's a ball that I actually think he can complete as far as the pattern. Um, also, who's in the middle of the field playing center field? Kyle Hamilton. Who's, mm-hmm. Like we said, very arguably the, the best safety in the whole country. So you got to be precise on those. If you sail one of those or if you don't really look them off well enough and make them commit to to you know one of those those seeing guys or another, if you have two, like like if you're if you're running four verse and you got you know four guys going on down the field, it'd be one of these two, right? Um, you know he could pick you off. That's that's problematic. I I also worry some about the protections. Like a Notre Dame knows Dylan Gibbons. He wasn't going to be a starter for the Irish this year. And like they had a couple of fifth year type seniors and they decided to keep one of the kids and he's going to start. And Gibbons, I think, read the room and realized he was not going to start and hit the transfer portal. He is listed as a starter for the Knowles. Uh, if I'm Notre Dame, I'm going back through that Dylan Gibbons film in practice and seeing what gave him trouble and, and, and try, trying to basically see, hey, how much better has he gotten? Right. Is he in shape? How, mu- how much how much work did he get in camp? Is he is he improved at all? What did we do in practice that that really made made this kid struggle? And I'm going to throw that at him. I'm going to try to bring a lot of pressure, but also show a lot of pressure and and drop some. Yeah. Try and see if I can get free runners at Jordan Travis without actually committing all that many guys to blitzing. They do a lot of stuff that uh, a lot of it's manipulation of the guards with what they do. Well, they'll they'll walk a linebacker up, occasionally even a safety. Florida State used to do some of this in the early 2000s. If they kind of mug the, a, they, they call it mugging. Like yeah. they mug the A-gaps. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Florida State even used to do it with Dexter Jackson way back in the day. I mean, they will walk a guy up just to, you know, give you a look in the in the gap and you can decide whether or not you can try to, you know, kick out and get into zone coverage or if the guard has to, you know, pick him up or uh, be, you know, aware as to the guy. So, yeah, uh, we'll get a pretty, pretty good idea as to where Mr. Gibbons is early. And like you said, uh, they've certainly got as good of an idea as to what that guy's limitations and strengths are as, as anybody out there. You know, how ready is Devontae Taylor? What kind of shape is he in? Right. Like we know he's back at practice now, but he was recovering from an injury all offseason. So, you know, I think there's a le- legitimate question we brought up uh, two or three shows ago. Hey, if he was actually where he was last year, is he actually kicked inside the guard or are they still starting him at tackle? Because he was your best offensive tackle last year when healthy. And now all of a sudden he's a guard. Maybe there's a reason for that. That is a scheme reason. Maybe there's a reason for that as far as physical limitations, but we don't know. I mean, we know he had a decent injury last year. So that, that concerns me some, that some of the pass protection, the communication, they really cannot have the, 
just the, the Olay blocks and which I think, by the way, is why Gibbons is in there. I think he's more likely to Olay less than, than Lucas, although I think Lucas is physically a better player, you know, power wise. Uh, they just can't afford to have as many tackles for loss as, as you might have, you know, if you do end up playing Lucas. Um, and I think you're going to have to f- try to find ways to, to get to get Notre Dame to bust. You can afford to do all this, you know, mugging the A-gaps and, and playing a lot of this really aggressive stuff if you have an eraser in the back end like Kyle Hamilton. It's a great luxury to have. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice on, on the back end if you have that. Kind of like if you have Ed Reed with, with, with what the Baltimore Ravens did. Um, but this is still a new scheme for the Irish. They still have a good number of new faces on defense. It's not like they return 11 starters. I think you can put up some points here. I'm not saying you're going to light them up, but you had success last year. Norvell has faced this defense before. We do believe Jordan Travis is in a better you know, spot as a passer than he was last year. Now, are the receivers in this game for FSU better than they were last year? Probably not, because that was the one game Terry showed up, right? So, unlikely, I think. But still, possible? And I, I think you can score some points. I'm a little bit concerned about the chemistry of the offense just based on some of the how fall camp went. But I think it's... I trust Mike Norvell's offense to score points, typically. But just how many? And what does the offensive line look like? Are these receivers more in that range that Ingram and I thought they, they maybe could get to, not they necessarily are, right? I don't think we're believing they're the 14th out of 14 in the ACC like David Hill had them. But if you're going to win this game, they need to probably play like top half of the ACC. They need to be like 7th or 6th and actually win some of these one-on-one battles against Notre Dame's corners who maybe don't suck, but maybe aren't, aren't world beaters. If, if, the, if Cincinnati can play largely single coverage, sit in kind of one-rat spy type stuff where you have one deep safety in Hamilton and you have another guy, probably Houston Griffith, down in the box, it's, they should be able to limit FSU's run game uh, very effectively. FSU is going to be challenged early on, I believe, to show that their, their guys can win one-on-one on the outside. That's how I would do it. I'm not letting Jordan Travis beat me with his legs. I want to see if he can throw, and I want to see if FSU's receivers can win a one-on-one matchups. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. That is a major key to this game, in my opinion. Anywhere else you want to look before we uh, turn the uh, turn the page, so to say, and look at what this looks like when uh, when Notre Dame has the ball? Um, I think it's a big Corbin game. Just because you know he's the most veteran of all, of all the backs, he he can he can do the pass protection stuff. Uh, I, I would not. Granted, I think we're both in agreement, and you're a real big Corbin fan. I think we're both in agreement that he is uh, better physically than he was last year. Certainly, second year removed from that knee injury or from that, that hamstring injury, excuse me. Uh, but I want him in there for the pass protection. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be really key. I'm not willing to sacrifice some explosiveness for, for pass pro here. As we move to uh, what it looks like when Notre Dame has the ball, we will think and uh, are really happy and proud to announce year number two with congruity. Uh, great to be able to partner with Matt Lewis and his team for uh, year number two. It's 
from a selfish perspective, it's nice. We go out and we talk to prospective sponsors and we talk about what we are very confident we can do for them. And then it's great to have a chance to kind of a uh, term that's certainly popular right now, but, you know, provide proof of concept and, and, you know, come to, uh, come to fulfill some of those things that you talked about. And, you know, we don't do that without your support and, uh, the, you know, the loyalty of our audience and, uh, the education levels and, <laughs> uh, places of management and ownership and business, uh, that some in this podcast listenership have next to their work titles is, uh, is really impressive. And congruity has been a great partner for us. And we would wholeheartedly think that they would be just as good of a partner for you if you're looking somebody to help you with payroll or uh, a litany of other things that uh, businesses can do in a little bit better manner. So Matt Lewis is a great uh, partner for us. Looking forward to working with him for another year. And you can reach out to him at Knowles at Congruity HR via email or just go to the website congruityhr.com and get a better feel for what Congruity can do for your business. Okay, so when Notre Dame has the ball, we got a pretty good look at this last year as far as what they want to run. There will be some new faces around this year, but Ingram, I think largely the scheme uh, will will mostly mostly stay the same. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you are almost innovative by staying in the type of offense that Notre Dame has, right? I mean, with everybody else breaking out these spread concepts, Notre Dame sitting there in a world where it's not uncommon for him to have two, even three tight ends on the field at once. They do a lot of, uh, you know, uh, 12 packages, like you talked about, one back, two tight ends. Uh, they, Tommy Reese is the OC. If you've been a longtime college football fan, you'll recognize that name and have a general idea as to when he played quarterback for the Irish. And the offense that they run looks like something from the early 2000s or even earlier in college ball and it's a uh, unique and it's unique in what they're able to do. And it's also unique that they have a really strong offensive line and they might have the best tight end in the country. So that certainly helps uh, when you're running an offense that features tight ends and packages that feature the tight ends uh, in a manner that Notre Dame does. Yeah. I, I am excited to see what coach Adam Fuller's defense does against this group. Uh, this was, I'm going to say the second most embarrassing defense performance last year. To me, Louisville was the, was the number one, right? Because um, there was a little quit in you, I think, against Louisville. Last year, this defense against, against Notre Dame, two things happened. Number one, they didn't seem to know how to fit gaps. It was kind of embarrassing. Notre Dame ran largely the same counter and some G-scheme stuff against them over and over again, and they just really never fit it. They were playing their freshman linebackers, they were trying to simplify stuff. What they were doing on the practice field did not translate to the game. The second problem that they ran into is when they finally did figure out where to go, bam, it was just, this is kind of hard. Uh, but that was about as hard as Notre Dame hit last year because they had some really good offensive linemen who are now in the NFL. And uh, yeah, our, like what we were seeing on the field didn't really match up. Physically, FSU was just not physically capable of matching up. Um, now, they have to get a couple things fixed. A, I do not think that Notre Dame's offensive line will have the same like level of advantage over FSU's defensive line and linebacking core this year physically. 
That doesn't mean they're not better. I think there's a decent chance they are better still than FSU's defensive front seven is. But I don't think that they're going to be just worlds better. I don't really think Notre Dame's going to have the best offensive line in the country or the second best. I mean, Bama was the best last year, I think. But, like, you know, I don't think they're going to be really contending for the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line this year. I expect them to take somewhat of a step back. They did lose four starters. Uh, now, I know you've been digging into this. They actually got some pretty damn good replacements or, or people they're fairly confident about. It. I mean, let's keep in mind here, a dude who is starting for FSU was not going to start for Notre Dame. So FSU has a starter who Notre Dame wasn't going to start. Yeah. I mentioned this in a, in a quick tangent in the season, uh, the projection wins total that they've got four blue chip players and uh, Caden Madden, the kid that Florida State, you know, lusted after pretty heavily on social media as we uh, talked about. So Josh Lug is uh, almost, there's some parallels to Gibbons there as far as kind of a career backup. I think he has, uh, what did you say? Eight starts when we were talking earlier. Yeah. Uh, really decent player, Jaron Patterson. Really good uh, offensive lineman. They are playing a true freshman, we think, in Blake Fisher. You also think that kid's going to be pretty special and one of the better linemen in the country in a couple. Of Probably years. a so three and out type. They've player. got some. Ex- they've got some really nice pieces. I mean, Alabama is the only team that recruits this position better than Notre Dame. If you're getting a scholarship and you're getting put into the development, uh, you know, scheme there in South Bend, you're legitimately one of the better offensive linemen in the country. They're, they're going to have some drop-off, certainly, but uh, this is going to be a strength, and it's going to give us a pretty good idea as to where this Florida State defensive line is real, real early in the season, and maybe even we'll get a pretty good gauge for it real early in the game. I agree with you on that. I, I think everything you said there just absolutely nailed it. Obviously, Kane Madden is an All-American candidate. He was very good at Marshall. Um, you don't walk in and start on the Irish offensive line if you're not pretty damn good, uh, especially not from Marshall. But we can't ignore that this is, even though it's not the first start for a lot of these guys, except for quite obviously the, the true freshmen, it is their first game all playing together. They do not have as much experience as last year's offensive line did as a group. They certainly don't have as much experience together. I think Doak will be loud. Uh, the fans really need to do a good job here of trying to create some communication issues whether that's false starts, whether that is causing some of these dudes to be uh, a half step late off the ball to give that Florida State defensive line an advantage. We talk about a lot lot of this type of stuff when you're outgunned. We didn't talk about this a whole lot with 2013 team, right? Like, man, we really need the crowd noise to make sure. No, it's like, look. But I do think FSU's defensive line is probably at a point where it shouldn't get overwhelmed by this this Notre Dame offensive line. I think you have made some upgrades over what you had last year in certain spots, probably. Kier Thomas has had a very nice final two weeks at camp. I believe they're confident that he is going to play well. I don't think he's like an NFL-type dude, just with size limitations, but he's a pretty decent college player. Obviously, Jermaine Johnson is somebody that they're confident it will, will play well. Uh, Adam Fuller really praised... Um, Oh my gosh, I'm not blanking on this. Stephen Tackle, Mississippi State transfer. Love it. I love it. He, he praised him for his better conditioning and his much better footwork of late. He's always had the size at you know, six, five, and three and change. Like, I do believe FSU, they will have some snaps and probably some series where they win against this Notre Dame offensive line. I think it'll be really good still, but I don't think it's going to be nearly as dominant as it was last year. 
However, however, I am not going to share that same confidence in FSU's linebacking core. And I am worried here, I'll just be frank with you guys, about some of these other pieces they have. Because I don't know if you've seen number 23, Tyrod Williams. Notre Dame people think he's the best back in the country. I don't want to quite go that far. I think he is the best back on FSU's schedule, pretty clearly in my mind. And Michael Mayer is also most likely the best tight end on FSU's schedule. Again, Notre Dame people think he's the best tight end in the country. Those are some pieces that the linebackers are going to be facing off against, in addition to facing off against this offensive line when it gets through. And I don't really, that doesn't help me sleep well at night, right? Yep. If I'm an FSU coach, I, that, that scares me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame has three super elite pieces. The Hamilton kid that we talked about on the defensive side of the ball. Williams is probably one of the three best backs in the country. And Meyer, uh, whose nickname Baby Gronk, is probably, if not the best tight end in the country, one of the best three. It's a kid that's still relatively young. They use him all sorts of various ways. Use all kinds of basketball cliches about, uh, you know, being able to throw his body around, kind of box out defenders. Um, but I have, you know, I'll I'll clean it up and PG it a little bit. I have no freaking idea who. And one of my lights just went out. I have no idea who's going to cover this Meyer kid. Who they're even going to try to cover him? I mean, they. I hope they do try. But yeah, they, I do. I do. I mean, I could see Gainer getting a couple looks here, uh, but I don't know. I mean, good luck trying to draw this up, and it's going to be a real challenge. Yeah, I mean, you're you're going to have to try to chip him at, at the line of scrimmage and have somebody pick him up. You know, maybe it's maybe it's Gant. Maybe it's you know, maybe you have some some dent pick up afterwards uh, you know something I thought about actually was why, why don't you throw Travis Jay on him but Travis Jay has been so good in camp at corner I mean he's just been literally pancaking people at the line of scrimmage um, including the guy who people think is going to be your number one receiver for FSU that I don't think you really want to move him off that corner spot but I will note Jerry and Jones is healthy Mike Norvell uh, spoke well of him today as far as his health so that's a possibility. Maybe maybe you could throw Travis Jay on him some. I, maybe if you have uh, Jermaine Johnson or Keir Thomas stand up, maybe you let one of those guys try try to uh, try to jam. But it, this is just not a favorable matchup for the Knolls. They don't really have anybody at linebacker who you feel good about covering him. They don't really have a safety who you love. I don't think covering him. It's just it's. It's not a great matchup for him. And honestly, most teams that Notre Dame is going to play will have the same problem. This He was a freshman last year, and he was damn good. I think he'll be even better this year. Some things that have to get better from the linebackers, though, because I'm just going to say, look, Michael Mayer is going to get, get his. Please do not have 14 catches for like 210 and three touchdowns. Can you limit him to like eight catches, 100 yards, and, and one to two? You know? Or, or I, you don't want to have to devote so many resources to him that you just screwed everywhere else. That's the thing. It's almost like he's going to get his, limit him in some way, maybe. But I, I also think you have some other issues here. Number one, very clear depth chart-wise, Stephen Dix has not really come on like they wanted him to. He's not listed as a starter for FSU. I believe they are, uh, what's the right word here, encouraged by DJ Lundy's a progression, but DJ Lundy is 255 pounds. I think him coming downhill, violent. I think he has decent instincts for the position. In space, 
he's going to get cooked, I think. Right? Like, like, do you really see that guy be able to cover him in space or chase down Tyree or, or Tyree's, by the way, is their super fast back that the backup they use is kind of a change up to Williams, who is also a home run hitter in his own right. The linebacking core against the non receiver pieces for, for the Irish, it scares me a little bit. I think the answer, by the way, to this question that we have, how do you stop Williams and, and, and Michael Mayer and all those guys, is numbers. I think you have to throw numbers at the problem and bodies. It won't be one guy. It has to be you chip him, you have somebody pick him up, you try to make his life hell that way. Which kind of gets me to the next question. And first of all, like I don't even do we want to say this. Your run fits have got to be better. You cannot just be totally confused. If you are, that's going to be embarrassing on national television. If you get pushed around, that's one thing. If you're just totally confused again and you have guys who are false stepping all the time. Wrong arming stuff when the defensive call does not call for a wrong arm, just not playing their, their right techniques. You're gonna you're gonna get embarrassed. I'm gonna assume they have that fixed a little bit, and maybe I'll, maybe I'm foolish to assume so. But I think with a full year under their belt, under the same defensive scheme, can I assume that? I hope I can. I think FSU will need to play uh, fairly aggressively in this, and they're gonna need to try to throw numbers at those running backs and tight ends. Which means that Notre Dame is going to have to try to win one-on-one battles on the outside. Yeah, um, so this will be interesting to see. I mean, we talked about this earlier that, uh, or we talked about this earlier, we talked about this in, I believe, two podcasts ago, maybe it was the last podcast, that Notre Dame is actually going to be getting back uh, kind of their two outside threats that never really saw the field last year because of injury. So, uh, Brayden Lindsay, Kevin Austin, uh, you know, they got hit or they got hurt real early last year. What they had 81 yards total. I mean, on eight catches combined, uh, the two guys that they thought were going to be, you know, maybe their two most explosive options. So, um, not trying to <laughs> throw a whole lot of shade out there, but if you're listening to a podcast and they tell you that Notre Dame has a, you know, ton of, inexperienced wide receivers and that they're not exactly, well, inexperienced may be accurate, but uh, that they don't know where they're going to try to go with some of these kids or they don't know what they have at wide receiver. Well, they've got pretty good ideas to what they have. And, and they're both uh, seniors. They're like, going to feature them heavily. Yeah. Uh, they, they, this is not an unknown. Uh, it's an unproven over the past 12 months, but they know what they have. And they're two kids that, uh, you know, if you're not, if you're not sure what you're doing, or you're not confident in some of your pass-offs or whatever else, uh, you'll see the back of their jersey and you'll be jogging while they run into the end zone. Yeah, so the reason I know this is because on Barton and Bud last year, we had to talk about the Irish a lot because they were in the playoff hunt. And it was always, okay, can they actually do anything here because they are not explosive on the outside? And we would always have to remind the audience, well, they're not explosive. That's true on the outside, but they also did lose their top two receiving options on the outside in Austin and Lindsay. Austin's actually a Florida kid. I believe his dad played for Michigan State and then in the, in the NFL. I, I liked him a lot in high school. Uh, Lindsay is more of the burner. Austin's a little more you know, sure-handed, uh, thicker guy. If, I mean, just to be frank here, right? If those guys are as good as Notre Dame hopes they can be, FSU probably won't win the game. Because you have to take some gambles, I believe, to stop Hamilton and Tyree and Michael Mayer. 
if if Notre Dame can say, guess what? You're going to give us single coverage and beat it consistently. Just tip your cap. Then that probably means Notre Dame is like a ten and two type team, or an eleven and one type team. If if they're able to to successfully in game one beat you there, but I think that's the the challenge that FSU has to present to the Irish is can you handle this? FSU's corners in camp have been good, man, and in some days they've been dominant. Travis J has looked like the best player on defense many days. Jarvis Brownlee, I'm a big fan, has looked really good. They're you know they're they're, they're getting back Jones. I, I don't know if that's because FSU's receivers aren't any good. That's my fear, but I don't know that. I think FSU's receivers might end up being okay. We'll see. Uh, but I do think FSU's corners need to win or at least stalemate when they are put in kind of risky situations if you're going to have a shot to win this game. That, that's largely what I expect Coach Florida to do. That's not inside information. To me, it's just common sense. Unless, for some reason, you have ins- you have inside info that like Gaynor, Deloach, or Lundy can, can cover Michael Mayer, and then you feel really good about the run game. Maybe your defensive line just totally kicks the crap out of Notre Dame's offensive line. And if so, that's a whole new ballgame. I'm just not really sure that's going to happen on a consistent basis. I, I guess it could. It's the the challenge that oh, Leonard Warner's long been waiting for, bud. Uh, this is true. That's what I'm going to tell you. So we'll look real quickly at the transfer quarterback that they've got, uh, Jack Cohn, kid out of Wisconsin. Uh, you know, a nice quarterback, uh, makes some nice decisions in the quick passing game, fairly accurate. I don't know that he's quite as athletic as Book. Book wasn't some athletic monster, but was able to rely on some of those uh you know, just roll out uh, situations to get himself a little bit of room and create some space for either a tight end or a wide receiver. I'll be curious as to what it looks like uh, if they have to do a whole lot of that. And real curious to see if he can hit the deep ball. I mean, this is a guy, like I said, makes makes his money kind of in the 7 to 12 yard uh, range, makes some good decisions. Uh, I'm a little bit worried that Florida State uh, will play the run okay but we'll kind of get picked apart in some quick short stuff and then, you know, maybe get frustrated and start to break down over time. But uh, Cone, nice prospect, not necessarily anybody that I'm particularly scared about going into this game, but it will be interesting to look like, uh, see what he looks like as he makes the move from Wisconsin. I, I understand why they went and got him, right? You expect Notre Dame to have a strong running game and to want to throw off play action, which is basically what he did at Wisconsin. As you mentioned, when they got in those long down and distance situations, uh, he was not very effective. Most of his downfield passing that was successful came off play action. That's kind of how I expect Notre Dame to try to attack here. If FSU is able to get Notre Dame off schedule, if they're able to get them in that more second and eight or you know third and eight type situation, how well does Jack Cohn play? I mean, there's a reason they went out and got Jack Cohn. It's, it's because Jerkovec, their their uh, backup, who they Loved as a recruit and super highly rated. They weren't getting a whole lot out of him. And he transferred to, to Boston College and he absolutely killed it at Boston College last year and is now being hyped. We'll see if the hype comes true as an NFL prospect. So they had a hole to fill at quarterback. I'm not convinced Jack Cohn's going to be all that good. The thing is, FSU needs Jordan Travis to play out of its mind. Notre Dame can kind of win this game if Jack Cohn plays like he did at Wisconsin, managing the game throwing off play action, being accurate in the short and sometimes intermediate stuff. FSU needs to try to force him to play um, a little left-handed, 
and can you hit the deep stuff, right? We'll give, we'll give you the deep stuff early. Can, are, are you willing to take those chances, especially in non-play action and you know, maybe some non-RPO type situations? That, that's going to be fascinating, man. Because like, he's a wild card in this. I, I don't think there's any reason to assume that he's going to be great. Yeah. All right, we'll move kind of to our closing thoughts here. Before we do, we'll talk about, uh, you know, a place where we never have any debate. Uh, that is whether to go or that is, in general, the properties of the For the Table restaurant group. Now, we may have some debate over the weekend as to whether or not to go to Madso, Charlie Park, wherever else. But really thrilled to be able to go back and see those guys. I did have lunch at Madso about six weeks ago or so, but uh, I was I walked in literally as they opened the doors, and uh, it's not quite the experience that it'll be this weekend. I'll put it that way. So, uh, just excited to sit down with Bud, have a beer, uh, whether it be Sunday before the game, whether it be Charlie Park, maybe some other time over the weekend. Uh, great properties there. Township is kind of a a little bit of a hidden gem, if such a thing is possible, and they're in one of the uh, you know better units that's in all of College Town. But uh, great properties, great people, longtime sponsor of the Nolcast. And cannot wait to uh, get back, darken the door once again, and uh, you know have a good time in uh, Madison Social or Township. No doubt, man. Really, just just an awesome group of folks, and uh, excited to be with them this fall yet again. And looking forward to drinking some beers with you, man. It's gonna be fun. It'll be a hell of a good time. This, this, this quarantine stuff has not been cool. No, no, it has not. Back out a lot more. Um, so. You, are we doing predictions here? What 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 are we feeling? Uh, do you want to try to knock out some of these listener questions and then end with predictions? You want to? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Let's let's get that consumption number way up. <laughs> so we had a ton of listener questions. If we spend twelve seconds answering your question, please don't think that we're being dismissive or anything else. We're just deep into a preview podcast here. Oh my and, gosh, uh, this list is big. We'll Dude, try to. I didn't uh, realize it was that deep try to get these as quickly as possible. So uh, we do have some recruiting implications just to talk about in general. Some of the graphics that the social team's been sending out look great. The 20, some, some of the uh, 2023 stuff that they were able to start uh, earlier today really looks nice. Florida State's taken some nice strides in that area, and it's good to continue to see that. But you pushed all your chips into the middle of the table here, so to say, as far as some of the visitors. This is, uh, you know, one of those key weekends as Florida State looks to really hammer out Tribe 22 and certainly take a big step forward with Tribe 23. Let's just discuss the recruiting implications here real quickly as to what ultimately this might mean for Florida State's uh, efforts in the next two classes. Sure. So first, why did you decide to bring all these kids to campus for this game? Because they'll come. I think so, right? There's a couple factors here. Look, when you scheduled this game, or when you, when, you, when you decided to bring recruits to this game, the betting markets had you as like a 10-point underdog. I'm sure FSU knows it's an underdog in this game, that this would be an upset. It's not a coin flip. Um, however, you're not going to have a ton of recruits officially visiting Georgia, or Georgia Clemson in Charlotte. You're not going to have recruits officially visiting Miami and Alabama and Atlanta. Florida probably does not want to have a whole lot of kids take their official visit for the FAU game in 100-degree weather in the swamp. You know, Auburn is most likely not going to try to have a whole lot of kids, kids come to their game, the game against Akron with their 37-point favorites. And they might, but for unofficial visits, obviously. LSU, I mean, hope people in Louisiana are doing, are doing better now. Obviously, it's going to be a long road back for, for them, some of them to get the power. 
They're playing at UCLA this weekend. I'm trying to think about the other teams you recruit against consistently. NC State, which you're not recruiting against very much right now, but in previous years, some they play on Thursday night against USF. Tennessee plays Bowling Green, so again, not an attractive game to bring people to. My point is that most of the teams you recruit against are not in a situation where they can host official visitors. You are taking advantage of a bit of a market inefficiency created by the schedule. We also know that Tallahassee is a difficult place to get to for a lot of people. Now, granted, with official visits, your travel is paid for. However, it still takes time. And parents need time off work. And with Labor Day being a holiday, they get that Monday off for most folks following the game. So it's kind of a three-day weekend. You can come up, enjoy Tallahassee. I'm sure some will probably get there on Friday night and you know, then start their official visit if they're folks you know, who are, are driving. You get to spend a lot of time around the program and, and around the staff. And I, I do think that it's a, it's a fairly smart risk for them as well because they know they need to, to start the season well. They are unlikely to have a good finish this season. It's not impossible, but the odds of them having a winning record in the final five games is very low. I mean, probably what, 50 to one at least, probably more. It, it, final six games are what? Uh, well, I mean, reverse order Florida, Boston College, Miami, North Carolina, Clemson, NC State. That sound right? Final six? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the odds of going three and three or better than that are probably closer to like 100 to one. So, you know, um, not great. In any case, I, I think the recruiting implications here are pretty big, but maybe not in the way people think. FSU has done a fairly decent job of pitching, being more competitive taking steps, but they're still selling playing time quite well. Playing time, the need for playing time for some of these kids, some of these positions aren't that good, will be evident on on Sunday night, most likely, win or lose. You will still be able to sell that. I was talking to some guys over there on that staff today. Hey, if we win, I think it'll be absolutely awesome for us. We want to win the game. If we don't win, but we keep it competitive, and we don't get embarrassed, that's something we can also sell, provided that we do take some more steps in other games this fall to where we don't get off to you know some kind of terrible start. And they don't think they will. They think they'll get off to a fairly decent start on the year. Um, a lot of really big names in town, obviously you know, Skinner, Coleman, um, Kendrick Law is coming in, the, the kid from Louisiana, a whole bunch of 2023s. I believe Grayson Howard's coming in, one of their top linebacker targets, Braylon Wilson. They got a Bunch of dudes coming in. I know Knowles 24-7 has a huge list. Those guys have been doing a great job compiling that too. Um, shout out to you know, Zach Bostein over there, really, really killing that, Chris Nee. But make no mistake, like this is a pivotal game because they need to infuse talent into this program, man. And if, if they somehow pull off a win here, which is possible, um, you know, like that's that's pretty impressive. And yeah. it will really help you recruiting wise. You just can't get embarrassed in the game. That's the other thing. Jeff asks an interesting question here. He says, in the unlikely event Florida State beats Notre Dame uh, in 
and another team were slated to lose to, example, UNC, but still fail to make a bowl. How do you think this impacts next year's recruiting class? Uh, yeah, that would be interesting. Let's say it is UNC. I would think that your recruiting class would be okay just because you're going to have two massive games to point to here in the first uh, you know, part of the season or relatively first part of the season. Uh, obviously, if you still fail to make a bowl game, you're also going to have some pretty humiliating losses that may be hard to explain. But, uh, you know, if you beat Notre Dame and then you're able to go and somehow point to two years of beating UNC, uh, you got to think you'll have some type of message that will land with recruits. Now, if you fail to make a bowl game, there's certain stigma attached to that. But, uh, you know, it's going five and seven is not an unlikely record here. And maybe you get to five and seven in a wildly unorthodox manner that includes two wins over, you know, two of the teams that uh, a whole lot of people didn't think you'd get them over. But uh, that's just an interesting question. And it wouldn't shock me if there's not some, you know, rather significant swings in what people think will be the ultimate projection of some of these games. But I'd be shocked to see Florida State win two of those types of games. Really appreciate Adam sending us this question. This is kind of an extension of the hypothetical that we had last night. And the hypothetical we had last night, please go back and and listen to our season predictions piece. Uh, Really enjoyed doing that show with Ingram. We asked, would you rather have a winning record but not show actual improvement? Basically meaning like kind of get lucky? Or would you rather show real improvement but not get the bounces and have a losing record? And we both said, take the wins because it'll help you secure the recruiting class. In this interesting circumstance that, that Adam has, has posed to us, I actually think it would not negatively impact recruiting that much because one of two things would be happening. Either A, that means you lose the final five games, I think. And if that happens, I'm just going to say, hey, look, you guys have stuck with us. We obviously have a ton of injuries. I'm just going to say the word injuries, 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 and basically blame it all on that. Uh, if for some reason you go five and seven with several marquee wins like this and you don't close poorly, which would be almost impossible to imagine, the only way I can see that happening is COVID, which is an obvious excuse being used for everything right now. And honestly, a legitimate excuse in many instances. I don't want to diminish the, you know, the, the very real excuse that that is. So, yeah, I did not think this would hurt your recruiting at all if you had literal marquee wins against Notre Dame and UNC and somehow went five and seven, like no impact. Also, both games are in the first seven games of the year. So that is still kind of early enough where we can sell momentum. Yep. Yep. Uh, Really interesting question there. Uh, Jeff was actually the one that threw that to us. Adam has the next question. He says, if you're Notre Dame, how would you prepare to stop Florida State on either side of the ball? Uh, Adam, we we certainly detailed a lot of this uh, in our natural preview. Um, but yeah, I mean, what you're going to do is you're going to try to make Jordan Travis beat you in the air. And then uh, if he does that, then maybe you make adjustments. But until he does that, that's what I expect Notre Dame to do. Yeah, the personnel questions, I think, are largely at uh, at receiver in both these games, right? For FSU, are, are FSU's receivers better than some people think they are? For Notre Dame, are Notre Dame's receivers really as good as they hope that they are? That's kind of what it comes down to. I do expect both teams to largely kind of see how much effective passing to the outside both teams can do early. Austin has an interesting question here. He says, any guesses on the uniform combo for the game? 
Is it um, a guess if you already know Ingram? <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think, I think it's know. just going to be the traditional, as traditional as the new uniforms can be. Uh, I will give you all a little bit of inside information. There was some talk about six months ago that the powers that be had kind of okayed a one-off throwback to the jerseys that so much of the fan base loves, say, i.e. kind of, you know, 93 through 2012 in that area. Um, it wouldn't shock me. I, I think that was actually quashed. Um, but with Bowden passing and some of the things they're going to do this year, it would not blow me away to see a replica game at some point in the season with Florida State wearing uh, the uniforms that many fans would hope that they would bring back in, uh, you know, in perpetuity. That would be awesome. Um, so Bobby asks, uh, does Mike utilize our punt game with all the work on special teams? Example, fourth and short on the Notre Dame 48. Alice would probably pin them behind the 10 or Mike could go for it. Last year, he seemed to play to win versus trying to save face in a close loss. So this is an interesting question, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I've thought about this actually quite a bit recently uh, as I do some of my modeling for this game. Norvell is somebody, when you model him, that you absolutely have to add in a greater modifier for the potential of blowouts because his teams typically fight like hell. They very rarely pack it in. And he keeps showing him that he believes in them and he actually tries to win. Like when you go for third and five or for fourth and five from your own 40 in the third quarter, that's the correct decision if you're trying to win. It increases your chance of winning, but it also, as, as Bobby points out, it also increases your chance of getting blown out. And I do think in this game, this is a, such a tough decision for Mike, and he would never even discuss this, I'm sure. Right? He's always going to say, I'm doing what gives us the best chance to win. And normally he actually does. He's not just paying lip service to it like a lot of coaches do who clearly are trying to just manage the blowout. It's going to come down, I really believe, to what Mike believes in his heart about FSU's chance to win. He, he will see indicators, I'm sure, in that first and second quarter that will tell him what will happen later in the game. He's much sharper than Ingram and I or anybody else watching the game. He knows what his team can do. He knows what his players can do, I think. And if he thinks uh, this could get away from us, then I actually think it would behoove him to, to stop and not play for the win and to try to slow the thing down, limit possession. So this thing, if, like if you have it within, I don't know, two scores, 20 minutes left in the game, do you go for it? Or do you, or do you also want to mitigate your risk and and avoid losing by 21, 24, you know, points, not, not final score. Right. Yeah. It's a tough call, man. It is a tough call. And it's a really good question. Something that I've been thinking about myself and it'll be, uh, be really fascinating to see what it looks like with, with so much of this year about trying to save face, trying to be respectable, trying to keep the class together that we've, constantly talked about for the past three or four months. Uh, it will be very interesting if that creeps into the back of Norbell's mind and he performs in a manner which historically he has not with some of his decision-making. Uh, Andrew asks another good question here. He says, how much better will Florida State be at their unscripted plays? Last year, they seemed to move the ball really well during the scripted drives at the start of games, but then dramatically fell off after that. Will complete spring and fall practices help with that, or do you expect more of the same? This could be Notre Dame specific and your thoughts on unscripted plays throughout the season. So, uh, but I'll be interested in your opinion, but real quickly, if Jordan Travis is a much better throw of the ball, then I would expect you to not have to lean on your script plays nearly as much. I mean, 
a lot of those scripts are pattern breakers or little different wrinkles that you're throwing in some of those zone read stuff that you did at the beginning of games. And that's where you're really trying to catch people and, you know, catch them in things that they haven't seen or you doing uh, little different wrinkles off things that you've previously shown to people. If Travis can be a better passer, then you don't necessarily have to be as creative there and you don't have to, you know, try to throw out every little new thing that you can find and, uh, and, you know, show so well as they did in some of their scripted stuff. Completely agree with you there. Uh, the other thing I think that, that Andrew points out correctly here as far as the, uh, um, the lack of practice is that you were very likely to be much better at your scripted stuff last year because that's the stuff you repped and practiced the most. They had not been able to practice together as a team very much, obviously had the, the very abbreviated spring. So I just think more familiarity with the entire playbook should reduce the great variance that we saw from the opening script to later on in the game. Um, yeah. Oh, wait, uh, have you seen my, my doctor clip here? Check it out. It's oh. from, from my son's medical kit. Uh, he was, he was reviving his monster truck uh, with Seth's scope and head of my pocket. Yeah. There you go. Dr. Dr. Elliot and the dog. Uh, cheated, so. Soon to be in the future. No doubt. Uh, Logan asks, if Florida State gets blown out, what do you think uh, is the most likely reason? If Florida State were to pull off the upset, who do you think is the likely MVP? Or what do you think is the primary reason? Uh, taking away turnover luck uh, and instead focusing on key matchups. So, Logan, I mean, Florida State could play pretty well and then technically get blown out. It would not shock me to see this be a 10-point game going into the last 12 minutes or so and Notre Dame to kind of ground you down over the fourth quarter and score two more touchdowns in the final six minutes of the game or something like that. I mean, I, uh, blowout and humiliation are two very different things. And that's a tough thing to even say as a Florida State fan when you're looking at a, a game. If if it's a blowout on the, on the uh, scoreboard, but a competitive game for the first three quarters, yeah, that's something I can deal with. Um, if Florida State wins, why is it? It's because some of these young pieces that we think are going to come together for Notre Dame get in an environment that they haven't seen in a year, struggle, get a little bit overwhelmed. And Florida State, uh, I know you said no injury luck, but Florida State, you know, catches a little bit of good wind in the air. Old, uh, old, I don't know what the equivalent of Florida State's touchdown Jesus will be, but you know Saint Bobby Saint provides Bobby a, magic. Yeah. yeah provides a little stiff wind while they're trying to kick a forty nine yard field goal or something like that, and just ever so gently blows it off to the right. That would be uh, oh so patriotic. Patriotic, yes, it would be very patriotic, uh, but very poetic. It was more the p word that I was looking for there. I think you largely nailed it there. Uh, to me. How does this game end up 38-13, right? It's the sum of our fears confirmed a little bit. FSU's receivers are not able to win against the aggressive uh, man press coverage that Notre Dame wants to play. Notre Dame effectively neutralizes Jordan Travis uh, by going kind of, you know, plus one in the box, adding extra men to account for those extra gaps that Jordan's legs create. Notre Dame is able to get a lot of penetration in the backfield because this offensive line has not been able to work together as a complete unit a whole lot this fall. Thus, a whole lot of three and outs. I know we said no turnover, so I'll say three and outs, which consistently feels like you're playing on a bit of a, a, a you know 
an uphill field. And Notre Dame is able to take an early lead, thus taking you out of the run game. You have to throw the ball more, which even though Jordan has improved, I don't really believe that's his strength. And the Irish are able to hit some uh, hit some play action shots to really break the game open. If you're going to get blown out, it's kind of how I see it happen. Yeah. Um, if you win, I think it's largely because your defensive line played very well. Most, I know you said no turnovers. It is tough for me to imagine FSU winning this game without turnover luck. However, because that's what the question asked, uh, you are getting Notre Dame behind the chains early and often. You get out to a, a lead. Notre Dame, for some reason, panics and gets away from its strong running game. Uh, play calling-wise, maybe the lead is somehow uh, very big. I'll get to that in a second. But now FSU is going to build a huge lead. Um, you know, Getting some tackles for loss there. FSU's corners do hold up in, in, in their responsibilities as well. You're able to effectively chip and then pick up Michael Mayer. Uh, how do you score a bunch of points? Or Well, just it's the win. Uh, if, if they pull the upset, they don't need to blow them out. Okay. Um, Jordan Travis does some Superman stuff with his legs. Mike Norvell schemes up enough guys wide open. And Jordan hits them. And FSU scores more touchdowns than field goals in the red zone. It's not crazy. They're not 50-point dogs. I mean, they're seven, seven-and-a-half-point dogs. So this would be a question predominantly for you, uh, both as we're pressed on time, and you're certainly our resident S&P uh, Plus expert. Sam asks, are there trends for Notre Dame's level of play throughout the season during the Brian Kelly, Elliott, during the Brian Kelly era? I remember Bill Connolly's S&P Plus would give a level of play percentile for each individual game during the course of the season. I'm curious if Notre Dame tends to play better earlier in a season and fade down the stretch, or if they're pretty consistent week to week, etc. Hopefully for the Florida State, the numbers show that Notre Dame plays relatively lousy in their opening games. Uh, well, I actually have the last two years. I think last year COVID was, we'll agree, is a little weird. Um, they opened with that South Florida team, I think, and it was, uh, are they open with, who they open with, South Florida? Pretty sure. Oh, they opened with Duke and then South Florida. Um, last year's 83%, 100%, 99%. So, you know. Uh, so 2019, 86%, 84%, 64%. That was the game at Georgia. They lost by six to, to a, a pretty damn good Georgia team. Um, kind of had a little sleeper against UVA, won by 15. Then they, they, they beat USC in a game they probably shouldn't beat, shouldn't have beat them. Um, they're not necessarily a team that starts terrible and then peaks later uh, all that much, if that's what the question's asking. Final question of the night comes from our good friend Derek, a longtime supporter on Patreon. And we would encourage anybody, if you have an interest in just supporting the show, that little bit extra, you can go to patreon.com backslash Nolcast. Have been overwhelmed by the amount of people that we've had join that in the past 45 days or so. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for your support. Derek goes. Uh, by, by by saying Bud often explains how teams with more depth tend to play faster as this allows them to use their depth to their advantage. This leads me to believe that Florida State may try to slow the offensive pace down in order to limit possessions. With this in mind, my questions are one, what pace do you think Jordan Travis and the staff are most comfortable playing at? And two, could a quick pace combined with a heavy dose of read option RPOs cause confusion for this Notre Dame defense? And it's new staff earlier in the game. So it's a really good, really good question. I think this 
Jordan and, and the staff are most comfortable going fast. Um, I, I think that's how they want to play typically if they can, not like unreasonably fast. Because FSU doesn't really have a player advantage right now at this point in time, they are trying to trick people more often than not. Uh, I think your odds of tricking somebody are largely increased with a couple things. Number one, if you go pretty quick. Number two, if you use some kind of funky motion stuff. FSU does some of both. And uh, I would say, yeah, probably going fast is what they will do do if you wanted to just try to limit the game going slow from the outset kind of makes sense but it also allows Notre Dame's new defense to get set and I think because the outcome that allows FSU to win this game is probably the more high variance outcome the the more straight line outcome is is a a Notre Dame somewhat boring win Uh, I think you want to play fast to try to create explosive plays I don't think you're going to consistently be able to just march the ball on the Irish. You need to find a way to hit big scores. I do believe playing fast could help you do that. If that makes sense. I mean, I, I, there's no right answer there, I guess. Cool 75 minutes on the season preview. Uh, that was, we got uh, our predictions. Awful lot of fun. And with that, we, will, we won't get out of here without doing predictions. But that is uh, that was thorough. I enjoyed that. Uh, that was uh, that was hopefully something that you guys have a lot of chance to listen to before Sunday night. We should have this to you out first thing Friday morning. And uh, you'll have time as you make your way to Tallahassee or as you just do your things over the weekend and wait till uh, you know, Sunday night at 8 comes and be able to sit down on the couch and finally watch Florida State football again. Uh, Bud, I'll go first here. I see something like 32-21 Notre Dame. Uh, I know that that's... You know, not uh, a ridiculously bold proclamation to make right now, but uh, I think Florida State has some nice moments. I think Florida State takes this into the end of the third quarter, uh, maybe even a four-point game or something like that. But I think Florida State doesn't quite have the bodies uh, to deal with some of the things that are get get thrown at them in the fourth quarter, and ultimately Notre Dame wins this game by you know somewhere between ten and twelve points. Yeah, I, I thought. I thought the, the line of 10 originally was was more correct than the line of seven or seven and a half. I, I did go ahead and play the seven. I, I have it 31 20. Uh, I, my, my concerns here are largely FSU's receivers who maybe will prove me wrong. Um, and FSU's offensive line as well. Um, and the fact that McKenzie just hasn't shown it either shown it as far as being there or shown it as far as performing. Um, think you need to be a more two-dimensional. But maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe Jordan Travis really does step up uh, and and throw the ball extremely well. This is a winnable game. It's not a game I'm going to pick FSU to win, but it wouldn't totally shock me if they won this. I mean, th- there are some factors that could absolutely swing it in FSU's favor. I'll, I'll go 31-20 uh, with, with the Irish getting the victory. But I think there will be some encouraging moments for the Seminoles. All right, man. I look forward to doing, uh, or one of us will do, maybe we'll both do it if we're in a particularly uh, giddy, you know, winning mode uh, to do the Instant Reaction podcast. Can't wait to see you and so many other Florida State fans this weekend. Be an awful lot of fun. Uh, You know, this year will be an interesting one. Uh, Really excited about the overall trajectory of the program, uh, where it's going, and this will be, you know, a year, a little bit of a transition year. But doesn't mean that it's not going to be a hell of a lot of fun 
cover. Uh, there's certainly a million different things to look for and uh, can't wait to start that that process of, uh, of finding the green shoots of recovery come Sunday night. So for Bud, myself, everybody else tied with the Nolcast, certainly thank you for all the support you've given us over these slow summer months and can't wait to get back and cover our 10th season, uh, which is hard for me to believe in and of itself. But uh, we're here and we look forward to being with you for a long time in the future. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. See y'all. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.